0: Shen Lu is a reporter at Protocol and co-founder of CN Storytellers, a community serving and elevating Chinese professionals in the global media industry. Welcome to China
1: Talk. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Clubhouse, talk to me about your experience on the app.
1: It was early, early February. I started noticing there was an influx of Chinese users. Clubhouse talking about all kinds of different things. It was firstly most product managers and VC investors and tech workers talking about the product and how. Maybe whether Chinese tech companies can copy it and how can they execute it, and then, yeah, I was fascinated by the variety of conversations going on on Clubhouse at the time. That was early February, definitely.
0: Sure. So we we start from like product managers and end up at dissidents. What was that arc? For you, and what were some of the more memorable conversations you overheard? I guess is that the right verb? Overheard? What was? What were some of the conversations? <laughs> I overheard. What were some of the? What were some of the uh, more interesting conversations <laughs> you listened to that touched on some pretty sensitive topics?
1: Yeah, I was mostly lurking, and I think it was the, that weekend, first Saturday, the Uyghur weekend. the the There was this Wigger room. A lot of dissidents, ham people. And Uyghur people overseas talked about what you know, their personal experiences and what I, their reaction to the massive human rights abuse in Xinjiang. And there was quite a few hand hand and CCP apologists. And but that was it. Last, I think it lasted for nine hours, and I I listened to the conversations for nine hours. It was really exhausting but I just couldn't stop listening yeah. to it I I was just captivated because you don't you rarely hear this kind of conversations on Chinese social media I knew there is a subgroup of liberal leaning or even progressive Chinese web users who live on different cocoons on Chinese social media but their voices are usually not heard because it's so often it's drawn out by the nationalistic voices. So I thought it was great for these people finally to have a space to express themselves and to talk amongst each other, to have this echo chamber for themselves because it's so much needed. So that was my my thought of the weekend before, the magic weekend before Clubhouse got banned in China, unfortunately. (laughs)
0: And what about your reflections on the sort of like on the Taiwan, Hong Kong mainland groups?
1: I so I probably didn't spend as much time listening to those conversations as I did with the Uyghur rooms. I think it the first few times I went into those rooms, I thought it was great that mainlanders and Hong Kongers and Taiwanese people were finally talking to each other, however different their viewpoints were. People were polite. They were like talking to each other, not fighting against each other. And because I never had this kind of experience before. But then I realized some of the rooms were just, a few times it was just all men talking about their experience and their political stance and their thoughts. And women couldn't even have a word in those rooms. And I was like, oh, this is not fun. Then I Left quietly. That's my favorite button on uh, Clubhouse.
0: It was, I think, on a Monday where it became much more difficult to join uh, Clubhouse from the mainland. And what you were left with was a still odd, like a like a still lively, but you know, much different kind of mix of participants using the app in in, in Mandarin. What were, what have been some of the conversations that have struck out to you since? Since that day came,
1: the manner the the manner rooms have become less interesting after Clubhouse was banned in China. Unfortunately, because I was addicted to Clubhouse for a week, and then it got banned, and now I'm no longer addicted to Clubhouse, which would, which is probably a great thing for health. <laughs> and um, the interesting rooms after. There were a few parody rooms. That one room, everybody, hundreds of people were roasting. Hu Xijin was pretty funny. That shows it's really sad. Censor, censors took a ca- action against Clubhouse users. But on the bright side, pervasive censorship breeds excellent humor, dark humor.
0: Can you give China Talk listeners a taste of some of the...
1: I actually had problems following some of those some of those speeches because they were really well crafted but some of them spoke really fast and i had trouble following those conversations but overall i think it was just so lively and this shows the kind of the unfiltered what it could have looked like it looked like if if the chinese internet is unfiltered
0: Yeah. Shen, if you think you had problems following the speeches, I feel like I'm really not the one to explain what the jokes are, but I'll give it a shot. Basically, Hu Jin, the the editor of the Global Times, which is a super right-wing nationalist newspaper, people were like pretending like they were his biggest fan and that he's like the leader of the future and we're all going to follow him into a happy socialist world where like China's number one and the U.S. is uh, licking China's feet or what have you. And people wrote these like very it wasn't just a few people it was like hundreds hundreds of people writing these very elaborate speeches weaving in all of this like nationalism
1: like, uh, nationalism
0: and they just like the chinese like chinese government speak and you had the rhythm it was like a scene like c1 right it was just very this yeah it was like this like outburst of creativity which if you spend time on billy or whatever you see but it directed in very different ways, right? Because this sort of making fun of someone for their, like, love of China is something that would never fly on the mainland.
1: Yeah, it reminds me of toad worship, uh, worshipping, which has been around f- for quite a few years. People have been doing the same with Jiang Zemin, but not vocally. And Hu Xixing, the next day, uh, he I- even issued a response to the night-long lo- ro- roasting of him on um, Clubhouse, I thought was... He said something like, some people demand too much of freedom of speech. And realistically speaking, it's not something that can be achieved in China. Something like that.
0: Have you seen the... There, there's a show. It's Tu Tao something like Da...
1: Tu Cao Da Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it. So, basically, like, this happens in China. Like, the like Comedy Central roast is a thing that has been ported to the mainland. And people make fun of celebrities or live streamers or whatever. The level of like bitingness of these jokes is way toned down from what you would see of Martha Stewart making fun of Justin Bieber or whatever. But yeah, it's really funny that it's actually not at all surprising that Hoosie Jean didn't enjoy himself getting made fun of. The other great part of that room is like every 10th person or something would be like, would like not be in on the joke and be like, are you guys really <laughs> making fun of him yeah. or are you actually his fans? Should I start a new room cuz I actually like him and I'm not sure I feel comfortable here.
1: And the moderators would be just like you can stay on and listen for a while and make your own judgment. We will go on this show for now.
0: Yeah. So that was a special thing. And hopefully more of them, more of those sorts of things can happen. One of your beats you've been covering for a few years now is feminism in China and the sort of feminist movement and its interaction between feminists within China and those living overseas. Can you maybe, I don't know, start the clock whenever you feel like, but tell the story of the past few years of what uh, has and hasn't. Uh, been able to be accomplished in pushing forward women's rights?
1: Yeah, so I started covering this issue since I became a journalist in early 2015. That was when the Feminist Five got arrested in China, and that was my first story. One of the first stories I did in China. And since then, I had been following Feminist Five and... Their other their activist activist friends in China and outside of China, I find it quite fascinating that gender issues, gender has be- basically become one of the most discussed social topics Chinese social media over the years. It was not like that in twenty fifteen or even earlier. I think that has a lot to do with the work that China's feminist activists. And the scholars and researchers who worked for state-affiliated institutions, their push for more gender-friendly policies and their advocacy work on the street and on the internet since 2015 or even earlier. 2012 or even earlier. So after what happened after 2015 was that the Chinese feminist activists could no longer go to the street and do wear a blood-stained gown to attract attentions they had to lay low since the feminist five got arrested and a few of them have come abroad lu Ping and lian Xiaomen, they are now in the u.s and they're there they have started started to organize in the u.s to to connect with Chinese, young Chinese students and Chinese professionals in the US just form a support network of feminists that can echo to what's going on in China. And I think this is, this is a global trend. There are similar networks in the UK and elsewhere as well. So this is great, but then also on the other hand, the Chinese women are ha- having a more difficult time as the Chinese government comes uh, down with harsher gender policies to push women to go back home and the, the two-child policy and women feel like they're increasingly having less liberty in China. And this is one of the reasons, I think, why now gender issue has become one of the most talked discussion on social media and in Chinese media as well. But maybe not so much in Chinese media.
0: The story of Sienza is another one that you've been covering. What are the, what was, give, give the listeners a little background into what's been going on with her and her case.
1: Her story is important in a way that people say, some people say it's her story brought out China's Me Too, Me Too moment because a few back in twenty. 18, she was one of the women who publicly accused a male celebrity, a a CCTV host, of sexually harassing her when she was an intern working on his program a few years back. The the host's name is Zhu Jun. Zhu Jun actually accused Xianzi and Mai Shao, a friend who helped her spread the word online, for spreading rumors. But then... Xianzi eventually sued Zhu Jing over sexual harassment, and this trial was heard last year, last December in Beijing. What surprised me the most was that hundreds of people on that day, on the trial day, showed up outside of the local court to to support her. They they carried slogans. They they say things like "Xianzi, we're with you, go Xianzi," and it was it was really moving. Uh day, I think, for me, I really wish that I had been there to to cover the story. A lot of us who were not be who were not able to be there were just tweeting on Twitter, and there were a lot of pictures and videos circulating on Chinese media as well, but a lot of them eventually got deleted.
0: So in this environment, where does the movement go from here? You you wrote a piece recently about sort of Billy and misogyny and women pressuring advertisers to pull their ads from Billy, which I thought was an interesting sort of echo of something that you've seen in the West of late with consumers, consumers leveraging advertisers to leverage change.
1: I, I think it's inspiring that... Feminism is not a word that women are shunning in China anymore. And it's fascinating that a a social media group, it's called the Goose Group on on Douban, are taking on a NASDAQ-listed tech company, exercising their consumer rights to boycott such a giant tech company because they were discontent with what they call deeply misogynistic content. Billy Billy bought and promoted a Japanese anime series called Jobless Reincarnation. A lot of women uh, were offended because the show featured misogynist content that obje- objectified women, and it also featured some ped- pedophile elements. So the women's arguments were, Billy Billy has become a mainstream video sharing platform. You have audience who you have audience who are all ages. Some of the your audience are minors even. You're not the you're not the quirky anime fan base that you started in 20, 2009 anymore. So you have the social responsibility. You have to shoulder your social responsibility as a mainstream platform. That was the main argument of the feminists. But I think this Incident highlights the tensions that have been percolating in China for the past few years, which is women are becoming increasingly aware of inequality that happens in workplace and in life and online. But then the government is increasingly pushing them back to back to home back to the kitchen and to have the second child and so this billy incident basically highlights this tension right there and now that this the tech company's position is also interesting it wants to be on the government's good side so users have seen quite a lot of nationalistic content on billy in the recent in the past few years and
0: come on there was the marx like the anime of Marx's life as a angsty teenager, which I could only stomach 10 minutes of, but was one hell of a production, I thought.
1: Right. So the tech company has to be on the good side of the government, and so therefore they're pushing more conservative, nationalistic content. And But in the meantime, they are having more female users who are increasingly voicing their discontent with they call for inclusion and diversity. So I think that's an interesting trend that's going on. And I think... Even in China, no tech companies can afford to be called a misogynist platform. It's just just, doesn't, it's just not good. So I'll, I'd be curious to see how this kind of user boycott, how long they can go, basically.
0: Speaking of misogynist tech firms, you also recently wrote a piece about the experience of women at, the, at some of the largest tech firms in China. Right. What did you learn in reporting that piece?
1: What did I learn? In, so before I started reporting, I was thinking tech firms maybe they do better than traditional companies in terms of treating women because they're tech firms and they're. I I thought they. I had this assumption or this question: Would they be better? But then I found out they're not actually better than other sectors. I think one thing that's different than other firms is that there are uh, more women working in the tech industry. And there are, in some firms, women actually hold leadership positions and quite high up in those companies. But then uh, the female workers at the lower levels are still have still have to deal with a lot of sexism and sexual harassment. And this makes me thinking. In this kind of those structural problems, it it's not just a numbers game. It doesn't really help when there are maybe forty percent of women in leadership roles. It's just it's very sad.
0: Yeah, it's. You also made this point about how even the senior folks who right. uh, are females who've made it, they don't necessarily get to. They have to play the man
1: man's game. Uh,
0: they have to play the man game, man's game even more aggressively than the than the guys to show that they're like with it, which is yeah. definitely a dynamic that you've seen in the West as well and in different corporate settings, which is um...
1: because that's how they enter the powerful circles. And I this is another constant. There, this is another theme that I've I constantly heard from my sources, which is that. Some of the female managers do not like female employees. They like to lead male underleanings, which to me was a sign that there, women are still so marginalized in those tech companies. There's just not so much solidarity there. And frankly, some of the women are not even aware that there is so much sexism and sexual harassment going on. A few people told me that their female or male bosses would delegate them the young looking women to work with men on other people or to work with corporate partners that was just mind-blowing to me but some of them didn't what they wasn't aware they didn't think even it, it was a problem
0: yeah the, the other aspect of this is the jojo Leo lifestyle mm-hmm. and being a parent And working six days a week, maybe even sometimes seven days a week, for twelve plus hours a day is not functional, especially when you have young children. When I was at Quai Show, there were a handful of people who had two houses: one at the near the office, and the other like an hour away, where their kids went to school and where their grandparents lived. Mm-hmm. And even in the best, the highest earnings, most "quote unquote" made it suction of society, you still have people who are just like having sending their kids to live with their grandparents and not raising them themselves because of the structure of things even with the beijing hukou right yeah. it was a really remarkable thing for me to realize this the power of the the power of the corporations relative to the to the workers in this market that they can demand that much out of their employees
1: Be- yeah because there is a lack of childcare support in china like from whether the government or from the company women are basically shouldering the lion's share of the childcare work and so what i found that women who are working at those tech giants they're mostly single they don't have families because basically they told me they don't have a life it's not just a 996 anymore it's just like i don't have a life and i and quite a few told me that they were planning to quit in the next few years because it's not a s- sustainable lifestyle and also there's an, an, another aspect of this is most women working in those technology companies are working on the human resources side the operating side the product side but not they weren't not many of them were software engineer engineers which were the powerful tech side of 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 the company so there was that and it's yeah it's just a multi-facet
0: so i remember when i was working at at quite show basically it's in a sort of like a office park where there are lots of other tech firms mm-hmm. And in CRG, there was a poster for Singles Day basically being like, hey, look, we're going to have a singles thing here. These five companies are going to be invited, all the ones that are within walking distance. And the joke was, it said on the poster, if you know, like, you're not going to date anyone who doesn't live right here anyways, because otherwise you'd never see them. So you might as well try to meet someone for Singles Day who works in the same industry, oh understands God. your hours, and lives like a five-minute walk from you, which I just thought was like a little too on the nose. It's for for just like describing the sort of pressures that you live under if you work at one of these firms
1: yeah I guess tech the jobs in the tech industry is like the new public service job in China the cachet it takes and you know, the, the kind of best and brightest talents it attracts to the industry
0: sure. let's talk about food for a second okay. so i hear you're a big gourmet what has been uh what has struck out to you you said you want to talk a little bit about chinese food ordering apps in right. uh, your know, chinese grocery apps in the u.s what what's notable about them
1: there are chinese food delivery apps and grocery delivery apps that i think created by tech firms based in the u.s but are founded were founded by chinese immigrants and those apps are are also targeting Chinese, the big number of Chinese immigrants in the U.S., especially on the East Coast and the West Coast. And so basically, there are a lot, a variety of Chinese food options on those apps that are not on, say, DoorDash or Grubhub, or th- some of them are not even big enough to be on Yelp. So I think that's definitely a gem that non-chinese speakers are missing out in the u.s
0: so which ones which one of these apps are your favorite
1: i use hungry panda for food delivery because i live in live near a chinese-dominated neighborhood It delivers the food that comes uh, food the food that i order usually gets delivered within 30 Minutes and a lot of the food options there are. So there, there is a large number of Fujianese immigrants in in this neighborhood, and so I get to eat a lot of authentic. Is a loaded word, but
0: what's to say good?
1: Good local uh, Fujian specialty that I, quite frankly, did not have much taste of it anywhere else in New York. So that was real. That's That's been really good. I also use this service called yami yami i think its english name is yami buy y-a-m-i-b-u-y this is where i buy most of my seasonings condiments dry dry foods it has been around for quite a few years it started basically when i was a student in the u.s which was quite a few years ago Yami has a lot of variety a variety of options for asian actually asian snacks condiments seasonings dry foods they don't They also have, they also have a fresh, a grocery delivery service but I've never tried it I I most most of the times I buy groceries from my own neighborhood stores
0: Shenlu you told me I can't use Wii anymore because they treat their employees poorly so I will I will take one for the team and buy a fresh uh, order delivery on Yammy buy and report back onto the quality of, of the produce there there, there is uh, another
1: one, another grocery delivery app it's called fresh go the fresh go is similar to to Wii.
0: Talk a little about China storytellers.
1: Me and a few Chinese journalists friends, I think there was ten of us, co-founded this Luz Collective in twenty nineteen. And it was initially just a few of us. We kept talking about the challenges and problems that we face working in the English language media industry, whether in China or out of China, hopefully we can help other people to elevate their careers and amplify their voices since we did not have that when we started out working in the media industry. Two years later, we have a couple hundred, hundreds of members from all working from across the globe. We have a space. We have a space on Slack where we share a lot of our work and our lives and our, you know, issues and our achievements. And then we have a public facing newsletter. Facilitates conversations that people like us care a lot about, like the situation of Chinese journalists in China and out of outside of China when they work for global media are things like what is home to people who have moved around in the past 10 what does home mean for people who have moved around in the past 10 years we also have twitter presence i think our we have more than 10,000 followers now which everybody is excited about we did not expect this to to be attracting so much attention because we don't have any financial support or revenue or anything. It's just like an organic thing that has been growing. So that's sure. gratifying.
0: Shen Lu, thank you so much for being a part of China Talk.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I had a lovely conversation with you,
2: Jordan. <laughs> 能够快乐想说天门每天这么努力看到我分这么有出息飞浪漠去欧维墙上次自己的想法都对工作部分地形高贵啊相信自己的力量相信自己的力量相信自己的力量耶耶学会去把胡说的标准打碎兼繁超级的 yeah. uh, yeah. 汗azo dolor這是一為能夠養成自己多弱oh no。yeah, uh, don't give up, 就是讨厌,不够我真的要去这时间啊,这是不如就算了吧,不如就算了吧,不如就算了算了吧。发生有无数的机会